Well, this is Memorial Day weekend, and as we just said a prayer for those who have given their lives in service to this country and for their families, that's that's what this weekend is all about, is remembering those sacrifices of the people who gave their lives in our country's armed forces. And the vast majority of those sacrifices were made in the various wars and conflicts in which this country has fought. In, in reading up on Memorial Day this week, I was reminded of the fact that the war in which more American lives were lost than any other was the American Civil War. With over 625,000 people killed and hundreds of thousands of more wounded, the, the American Civil War surpasses all other conflicts in terms of the scope of the destruction and chaos that, that took place in this country. And, and if you think about it, that makes, makes sense, right? I mean, everyone involved was an American. We, we were fighting against ourselves. There was American brothers and sisters waging war on each other. And, and as I reflected on that fact, I thought about the sad reality of how the conflicts in our own lives are all too often with people who we know and love. And and even more condemning than that, oftentimes we are in conflict with our brothers and sisters in the faith. And so as we continue on in our sermon series in Proverbs, and we, we learn how to skillfully apply the truth of God's word into our lives, the Lord put on my heart for this weekend the topic of conflict resolution, of proverbial peacemaking. Now, I couldn't really find one primary verse on this topic in Proverbs, so we're going to jump all over the place, and we're going to keep it in Proverbs, but I, I'm putting all of the verses on the screens behind me so you can, you can see exactly what verses I'm referencing. And I would encourage you, there's a, little, there's a little paper to take notes. Write all the verses down. Go and study them for yourself after the sermon. And if you want to try to follow along, then by all means, please open up to the book of Proverbs and follow along. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to speak your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me tonight, that you would control my tongue, that my words would be yours. And I pray, Lord, that you would also prepare our hearts to hear your truth, that we would be convicted in those areas where we need to be convicted, and, Lord, you would transform us and move us to action. I pray this in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Scripture shows us that being a peacemaker should be one of the key characteristics of those who follow Jesus Christ. And as we look at how we can live lives of peacemakers... We're going to look at three main steps that we need to take in order to peacefully resolve conflict. Three main steps, and and the order of these steps is is actually really important. We need to follow the order. And, And those steps are, first, we need to look inward. 
Secondly, we need to look upward. And finally, we look outward. And we're going to break down each of these three steps, and we're going to begin with step number one, the need to look inward. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, this right here is really the key aspect of resolving conflict. This, this is the most important step, and it's the one that most of us just skip right over and want to overlook. Resolving conflict always should begin by honestly assessing our own hearts and determining what's going on within them. The Hebrew word in this verse for keep or or guard in some translations means to watch over or to observe very closely. And the verse tells us that we're supposed to keep watch over our heart with vigilance or, or with diligence. And the Hebrew word for vigilance or diligence literally refers to a jail or a fortress. And so, and so the, this verse really expresses the idea that we're called to watch over our hearts as closely as we would watch over a jail to make sure that nothing evil escapes or as closely as we would watch over the walls of a fortress to make sure that nothing evil can break in. That's, that's what this verse is expressing here. So, it's really important that we get this. According to Hebrew, the Hebrew understanding, our, our hearts are what produce our emotions and thoughts and passions and, and those things that drive us. Things like anger and pride and entitlement. So, so our entire lives really are centered on what's in our hearts. So, so when it comes to resolving conflict, Scripture shows us that the very first thing we need to do is look inward at our hearts and closely scrutinize them so that we can see what it contains and we can see what's coming out. And, and, and by the way, the New Testament tells us the exact same thing. In James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Our passions and desires are all derived from our hearts. So, so when we find ourselves in conflict, we need to immediately look inward and ask ourselves, what's going on in there? What am I feeling? Am I feeling anger? Am I feeling jealousy? Am I feeling pride? Am I feeling entitlement? Ask ourselves, why am I offended right now? What, what nerve is being touched within me? What, what passions and desires within me are rearing up and causing me to act out this way? Or causing me to demand that I get my way? Why do I have to be right in this situation? 
Why do I have to win this argument? Why do I have to get my way right now? Is there any unforgiveness or bitterness festering within me that's causing this to boil out? These, these are the types of questions that we ask ourselves when we're looking inward and we're evaluating what is in our hearts. And when we do that, when we learn how to look inward, more often than not, we'll see that how we're reacting is sinfully. And our, our sin nature is what's boiling up and causing this conflict to escalate and overflow. When, when we can evaluate our own hearts and see how we're reacting in a sinful manner, then we can stop a situation from escalating by dealing with ourselves, by dealing with our own passions and emotions, first and foremost, and making sure that they're staying in submission to the truth of God's Word. Because our passions and desires and all those things, they're, they're, not, they're not bad in and of themselves. But, but when we fail to guard them, when we fail to keep watch, close watch over them, they have the tendency to grow out of control and lead us into sin and unnecessary conflict. But, but looking inward means more than just looking at our own hearts. It also means that we need to look at our own actions. Proverbs 28 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We we can't overlook and conceal our own part in causing conflict. And conflict will not be properly reconciled until we look at our own sin and confess it and do our part to address our own behavior. Now, I understand that that's difficult when our behavior may only be a small part of the problem. Let's, let's just say we're only 10% at fault here. And the other guy, he's 90% at fault. Well, you know what? You're still 10% at fault. You're still 10% a part of the problem. And in order to address the conflict, we got to seek to confess our sin and change our 10%. So that 10% is now gone. That's, that's how it works. And if we're not willing to do this, then Scripture tells us that the truth of God is not ruling our hearts and minds, and, and we aren't seeing things clearly. Proverbs chapter 10 says... There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. We rarely can see our own sin. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean we we shouldn't honestly reflect inward. But right here, this is one of the primary reasons why we need godly people giving us counsel in our lives. Because people who love us and are willing to give us godly wisdom and speak truth into our lives, they're the ones who can show us the filth that we're covered in that we can't see. It's healthy to seek the wisdom of a godly friend or pastor 
or Christian counselor who will help us see our own hearts and actions. And and in my experience, pretty much any time someone has approached me about dealing with a conflict that they were in, the first thing they wanted to do was focus on the other person's issues and the other person's problems. And so my job in those situations is to speak truth in love and help their eyes be opened to the sin in their own hearts that's boiling out into their own actions. But if we aren't willing to look inward at ourselves or speak with those who can help us to see clearly, then then we run the very real risk of missing the huge sin issue in our own lives because we're trying to focus on someone else's sin. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The first step in resolving conflict always needs to be looking inward and honestly assessing our own hearts and actions. If there is sin present, we've got to repent of it. We've got to confess it and ask the Lord to help us change our behavior so that conflict can be averted or at the very least diminished because we're taking responsibility for ourselves. And then after we look inward, if we find that conflict still remains, then we proceed to step number two. We need to look upward. We look upward. And looking upward is all about reminding ourselves of the love and mercy of our Heavenly Father and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. Proverbs chapter 19 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Scripture tells us that the way we acquire good sense or or wisdom is by revering and trusting the Lord and and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And, And when we look upward to God, we're reminded of everything of which we've been forgiven and everything of which we've been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded that Jesus was completely innocent of anything. And yet, he took the penalty of all of our sins on his shoulders, died in our place so that we might have life. We didn't, we didn't deserve any of it. We didn't deserve any of the grace or mercy or forgiveness that's offered through Jesus. When we look upward, we need to be reminded of that. And that fact should make us patient and slow to anger with those around us, even when they don't deserve it. And it should help us to be able to overlook their offenses against us as we offer to them the same grace and mercy that our Father has shown us. Do we we see how that works? We look upward, we become more like the one who saved us so we can show that mercy to others. 
Proverbs 17 says, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. If, if we can't learn to overlook those offenses and we want to press into that conflict, well, you know what? It's going to cause a burst that's just going to wash over things and cause destruction. We need to stop the quarrel, overlook the offense so that it doesn't escalate and get out of hand. And, and when we're filled with godly wisdom, when we're filled with good sense, our anger and our hatred will begin to ebb away and we'll be able to drop those disputes as we look upward and our anger will be replaced by the love of God. Proverbs chapter 10 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The more we look up, the more clearly we see God's love and sacrifice for us, and the more easily and readily we'll be able to put our preferences and our passions aside, bear the cross of the offense against us, and love each other through the offenses. I read a story this week about a man and a woman who had been married for 60 years. And at the beginning of their marriage, they made a promise to each other that they would keep no secrets from each other. They would, they would be open and honest. Except the wife was allowed to have a little shoebox that she put in her closet. And her husband promised never to ask about the shoebox or look in the shoebox. And, and he did. Over the years, he completely forgot about the shoebox. Didn't even remember that it was there, that he made that promise. And as the years went by, they had a great marriage. One day, the wife became very sick. In fact, terminally sick. And so the two of them decided to go through their possessions to try to get their affairs in order. And the husband, in going through his wife's things, came across the shoebox. And so he took it to her, and he said, can, can we look at this now? And she said, you know what, it's time that we talk about the shoebox. And so he opened up the shoebox, and inside the shoebox, there were two crocheted dolls... And a roll of money that was in the amount of close to $100,000. Now, he was obviously dumbfounded by what he found in the box. And he wanted to know, what, what is this about? What are these things in here? And so she said to him, well, when we first got married, my grandmother told me that the key to a long and happy marriage was to overlook the offenses that you're going to do to me in our marriage. And instead, when I get angry with you, I should go aside and pray and crochet a doll. And by the time I'm finished crocheting the doll, if I've prayed and honestly searched my heart, I should be able to forgive you and move on. Well, he he was really moved by this. I mean... In all their entire marriage, she only crocheted two dolls. He was overjoyed that they had such a blissful 
marriage. And so he said, well, that explains the dolls. What about all this money? Where did that come from? And she looked at him and she said, that's the money I got from selling all the dolls I made. (laughs) Now, When we overlook offenses, that doesn't mean that we're condoning the offense or permitting ourselves to be a doormat, alright? That's that's not what God is talking about here. It means that we don't allow ourselves to be inflamed by the offense and we forgive the offender and move on. Well, you might be thinking, okay, what about those situations where, where we have righteous anger and righteous indignation? Well, we need to be reminded here that there is not a single instance in the entirety of Scripture where someone was righteously angry over an offense done to them. In fact, the few times that Jesus got angry... If you read about it, he did get angry. But it was only when there was offense against his heavenly father or an offense against someone else and there was an injustice that he wanted to right. Never for anything done against him. And if, if we remember this fact, and if we keep our eyes upward on Christ, when we ask ourselves if an offense is worth getting angry over or offended over, or if we ask ourselves if we're justified in getting offended, the resounding answer will usually be no. But if in those rare circumstances we find that our anger is righteous, which which I've found to be few and far between in my own life, then we do, we, we proceed to step three if it is righteous anger. But if it isn't righteous, then we keep looking upward to be reminded of our need to show grace and mercy. Of course, if if we're not looking upward and we're not drawing near to Jesus Christ, then we'll walk in our own understanding and our own passions and desires will rule our hearts and minds and control our actions. And in short, we'll live like a fool. Proverbs chapter 20 says, It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. But every fool will be quarreling. Proverbs 12 says, The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. How many of you can relate to road rage? Huh? Right? But we need to ask ourselves, how quick am I to get angry with those around me? Do I have a quick trigger? Do I have a short fuse? Am I someone who's easily insulted or offended? Do do I hold grudges for a long time and never let things go? Do, Do I feel like I'm entitled to things and when I don't get my way, well, gosh darn it, I need to get my way. And I throw a little adult temper tantrum. If this If this sounds like you... Then, then we need to get our eyes upward 
Because we're forgetting how much we've been forgiven. We're forgetting how much grace and mercy the Lord has shown us. And we are not extending that same mercy and grace to others. Once we look inward and deal with our own heart and sins, we've got to look upward and continually remind ourselves of God's mercy in our lives so that we can overlook offenses against us and live at peace with those around us. Proverbs 16 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But, but peacemaking and conflict resolution doesn't end there. Because, unfortunately, sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with all people. Romans chapter 12 says, If possible... So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Sometimes it's just not possible. And there's going to be situations where we can't merely overlook the offense because, because there's a pattern of sin in a person's life. It's not just this one-off offense. And, and we're called as Christians to lovingly come around that person and help them overcome this pattern of sin in their life. And sometimes the offense is causing harm, grave harm, to someone else. Well, you know what? Cue the righteous indignation. And we have a duty to right the wrong on behalf of the injustice that's being done. In these situations, it's necessary and appropriate for us to move to the third step, to look outward. And we move to resolve the conflict with that other person. Proverbs chapter 12 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's the word of God. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We need to recognize right at the outset here that when it comes to looking outward, whether we're the one who is going and approaching someone in their sin, but especially when we're the one who's being approached about the sin in our own life, we've got to have a teachable spirit of humility guided by wisdom. We've got to have it. Otherwise, that third step isn't going to work. If, if we allow our pride and our foolish self-righteousness to cloud our vision, then there's not going to be reconciliation. There's not going to be true peace. And remember, the goal of peacemaking and conflict resolution is reconciliation. We're not simply going after a band-aid solution to try to quick patch this thing up. We want to have true healing. We want to have full healing in the broken relationship. And you know what? It's not peacemaking when you avoid the conflict. It's not peacemaking when you appease the person who's offended just to make them simmer down. Scripture tells us if there's been an offense that can't be overlooked, 
or if there's a broken relationship, then it has to be addressed and reconciliation has to be the goal. In Matthew 18, Jesus said this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If if someone has sinned against us, we need to make the effort to go and reconcile over and over and over again until their heart evidences a hardness and an unrepentance and and a desire to just stay in their sin. Unless and until we get to that point, we pursue reconciliation. It's our responsibility, if we have been offended, to go and seek that. Because half the time, I mean, how many of us here have been in a relationship where someone else was mad at us and we didn't even know about it? I mean, that's happened to me. Why didn't I know about it? Because they never came and told me. If you are upset with someone, if you have a broken relationship with someone, if there's conflict with... You have the responsibility to go and make it right. Because half the time they don't even know. But but listen to what else Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Did you catch what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that if you know that someone else has an offense against you, then you got to get off your butt and go. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but that's basically what Jesus is saying. If we know we've offended someone, we've got to take responsibility to go and try to make it right. And did you see what he said? This is so important that we shouldn't even worship the Lord until it's done. We shouldn't bring our offerings to the Lord until it's done. And and so we need to ask ourselves here, Am I aware of any broken relationships in my life where I haven't made an effort to approach that person in order to reconcile the relationship with them? Are there people that I've wronged that I haven't sought forgiveness from? Are there people that have wronged me that I've just ignored and kind of let go? If we're answering yes to any of these questions, then then Jesus is saying that, that we should literally, right now, get up and leave and go and seek to reconcile the relationship. That's how big of a deal this is. Peacemaking is a huge deal to God because He wants us to maintain unity within the body. He wants us to model the same forgiveness and reconciliation that he's given us, he wants us to model that 
to the world. So, I hope we all understand, this is vitally important for us to look outward when we know there's a broken relationship. But, but what do we actually do when we get in that face-to-face? What, what do we do when I finally work up the, the courage to go and... Caught myself there. <laughs> yeah. The courage to go and, and confront someone. <laughs> well, Proverbs... Pro, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinful man. <laughs> Proverbs gives us three steps, three things that we need to do when we go and confront someone or when we're being confronted. We need to guard our tongue. Still working on that one. We need to guard our temper. And we need to open our ears and listen. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And chapter 17 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Our words can either inflame a situation or diffuse a situation. We've got to wisely, graciously, and lovingly choose our words. And we've got to deliver and speak those words in tones and with body language that express that same love and grace. Someone asked me this week what I thought was more important. What I say or how I say it. And so I looked at them and I said, what do you think? I didn't actually do that, but I wanted to. And I I explained to them, look, how we speak carries far more weight than what we say most of the time. Yes, our words are very important. We need to choose our words carefully. But how we speak those words is critical. And in fact, I did a little research on this just to see, A, what does the Bible say about it? And B, what what research is out there? And I found out that experts say that only only 7% of our communication actually comes through the words we speak. 38% of our communication comes through the tones that we use, while 55% of our communication comes through our body language. On top of that, I learned that when we speak with angry, negative, critical, or annoyed tones, when when we use those tones, the people who hear us actually have a switch that's flipped in their brains where their higher thinking, the things like self-control and problem-solving and decision-making, those higher brain functions literally begin to shut down. And instead, the lower brain functions kick in and we begin to act with our primal and instinctive selves. So, so neurologically and biochemically, when we speak in angry and loud tones to people, our hearers immediately feel threatened and our brains automatically begin to shut down and they go into fight or flight mode. 
That's what happens. So how many of you have been in an argument where someone began to either argue back or began to run away? I mean, there have been only, oh, no times at all in my life where I got angry and the person just sat there quietly and said, well, you know what, why don't we talk peacefully about this and resolve this conflict? It doesn't work that way. Neurologically, biochemically, it does not work that way. And there's a paradox there, right? I mean, we push harder and harder to try to get someone to agree with us and be on our side, and we are actually pushing them farther away to either fight with us or run away from us. That's that's what literally goes on in our brains. And there's your science lesson for the day. And you know what? This, This isn't news to God. He's the one who made us this way. Which is why... When I looked at Scripture to see what it has to say, lo and behold, in Proverbs, no less, chapter 16, it says these words, The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. We've we've got to speak the truth in love and we need to have self-control to restrain our words that will tear people down, attack them, belittle them, and and speak in those loud and nasty tones. That's, That's the word of God. But going hand in hand with guarding our tongue is the second point. We need to guard our temper. Proverbs chapter 29 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. How many of you remember the 2006 World Cup final between France and Italy? Alright, not not many soccer fans here. Well, in, in that final, it was a pretty heated match the whole time, and it was 1-1 in overtime, and the Italian players had been harassing the best French player, Zidane, the entire game. And finally, in overtime, one of the Italian players ran up to Zidane and started making some derogatory remarks about his sister. Well, this finally got to Zidane, and Zidane headbutted the guy right in the chest, knocked him flat on his back. Of course, he got a red card, which means he was thrown out of the game, and the Italians went on to win. Every single one of us is going to find ourselves in situations where we're being provoked, where we're being prodded and, and poked. And if we can't control our anger and emotions in those situations, we'll never be able to peacefully resolve conflict. We'll try to headbutt the guy. We've got to be able to wisely keep those emotions in check. Because scripture tells us that we're acting like fools when we allow our anger and other emotions to just flood out through our speech, and through our actions. And if you find yourself unable to control your speech and your actions when you get in that emotional state, stop focusing on your speech and your actions and ask the Lord to start working on your heart. Ask the Lord to start helping you have patience and emotional self-control.
Remember, the emotions are not bad in and of themselves, but the, when they when they get ahead of us, it's going to cause problems. They can't be allowed to run ahead and dictate our speech and actions. Proverbs 14 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And finally, the third thing is we need to become better listeners. We've got to open our ears and listen. Both when we're gently and lovingly confronting someone in their offense, but even more so when we're the one who's being confronted with our own sin. Proverbs 15 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. This means that we've got to stop and listen to what the other person has to say. Listen with an open mind to hear the truth of what they're saying. Not defending ourselves and making excuses and, and putting the blame on someone else but honestly listening and evaluating to see if what they're saying is true about us. I've found in my own life that one of the characteristics, without fail, that people who are humble, people who are teachable, that they have, is that they are good listeners. They are able to hear what people have to say to them, not just write it off right away. Whether we're approaching someone who needs loving correction, and especially if we're the one being corrected, we've got to humbly listen to what's being said. But but we've also got to ask the Lord to help us to control our tongue and control our temper. James chapter 1 nicely sums this up when it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Looking outward is the critical final step in conflict resolution, and we need to model the perfect example of the master reconciler and conflict resolver, Jesus Christ. When we're, when we're facing someone in that Conflict, we've gotta, we've gotta seek to be like Jesus. Because the reality is that godly conflict resolution and seeking to heal our broken relationships should be a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us on the cross. See, this, this Memorial Day weekend, when we remember all those who gave their lives in conflicts so that we may have peace, We can't forget the one who gave his life to resolve our conflict with Almighty God. The conflict that rages because of sin. Jesus Christ resolved the greatest conflict there ever has been or ever will be. Mankind's broken relationship with God. And when we look inward and see our own hearts and our own actions and we repent and confess and move to correct those things, and and when we look upward and remember how much grace and mercy and forgiveness we've been shown so that we can turn around and overlook the offenses of others, and, and when we look outward 
and gently and lovingly seek to resolve conflict by guarding our tongue and guarding our temper and opening our ears, we become models of what Jesus Christ has done for the world. Let's be peacemakers. Let's resolve the conflicts in our lives by looking inward, upward, and outward in a godly manner. Let's show the world what Jesus Christ has done for us by seeking to make peace with everyone we possibly can. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.